Dust off the mic, AC. Dust it off there, Jack. We are back, 5-point play podcast. Brotherhood 2.0, and it really means something now, AC. 11 new players, a completely different coaching staff, basketball office. I mean, I just want to say right now, we have a new head coach, a new assistant coach, a new special assistant coach, 11 new players, four new transfers, a reclass, six new freshmen, uh, and a new uh, Rachel Baker, I know you're a bit, you know, proponent of this, uh, is going to be the general manager mm-hmm. for the entire basketball, men's basketball program. Welcome back, guys. Uh, in a minute, we waited so long because, you know, you had the Trevor Keel situation. Mm-hmm. We wanted to see the aftermath after that. And, you know, Jack, I don't know how social media was when Trevor Keels decided that he was going to leave his name in the draft. Uh, I think there was a little bit of meltdown. Yeah, yeah, no, there definitely was. People were quite was. upset, calling him a career G leaguer. Yeah, well, let, let me things. and let me stop you guys right here. We we finally got the news we've been waiting for. That's why we're recording right now. King Worthington just transferred, so and, and that's, we were all waiting on what he was going to do. We're waiting on that year. news. Yeah, and, and again, AC, he went where? No, just announced his intent yeah. to transfer. Okay, so I, I know Savarino, he declared for uh, NYU. Correct. So, um, Correct. you know, that's huge news, and we wanted to make sure we broke that first yes, yes, yes. here for all of our followers. Um, but, you know, I did want to say, Jack, you brought it up, uh, the meltdown about Trevor Keels, and I have seen so many comparisons to DJ Stewart. AC, I'm just going to use your one. Just stop. Right. It's not the same. You can't <laughs> use every time someone leaves that you don't like. Oh, that's the worst decision since DJ Stewart. No, it, look, we've been very honest. DJ Stewart was a horrible decision. We said that at the time. He's still chilling true. But Trevor Keels, look, he's a fringe first round guy. At worst, he'll be picked at the beginning of the second round. I don't love that he left. I, I thought he could have came back. But at the same time, it's not the same. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not at all. And 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 he was one where you know we had we you know there's some thoughts about people contacting him you know up to the eleventh hour of his decision, um, especially you know former Duke players and stuff con- talking to him and contacting him about hey stick around you know make make the leap and get yourself more money. But in the end, he wanted to prove everyone wrong and do what he wants to do. So he's that's where he's <laughs> that's where he is right now. That's where his head is. So I mean he fits he fits an NBA role more than DJ Stewart does. So. I think that's I think that's where that comparison will die and crash and burn. But you know, we'll see what happens with Trevor. Man. And best yeah. of luck to him. Yeah, we'll talk about the draft in a little bit. But you know, we kind of started it off, Jack, by talking about the complete overhaul of not just the roster, but of the Duke basketball program. Uh, you know, the wall goes up between Kay's office and, and, and now John Shires. So, you know, what do you make of the entire new overhaul that you've seen from from what Shire's done? And Nina King, give a shout out to her. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot has happened. Obviously, everyone was like 
really upset at Shire when Keels <laughs> decided to keep his name in the draft. And then AJ Green also kept his name in the draft at Courtney Ramey was suddenly out on Duke. And I don't know, man, like Shroggy is a great hire, uh, brings back some experience, uh, head coaching experience. He was, uh, he was the DPO here at Duke. He's been an academic advisor, both at Duke and under Bob Knight at Indiana. Um, and then you got Jay Lucas, who is actually, believe it or not, the number two recruiter over the last few years in college basketball <laughs> behind who, but John Shire. Right. So Duke is going to have really good recruiting game continued, which I'm, I'm really happy about. Emil obviously being promoted to an, a full-time assistant coach which was the expectation after last season. Um, I think Duke's got a great, great staff. Now you got a true big man to work with the big men, the guy who was pivotal in the development and emergence of Mark Williams. Mm -hmm. You got, again, Jay Lucas, who is a great recruiter, who's from Durham, whose family is still all in Durham, with the exception of his father, who I believe is still an assistant coach somewhere. Um, You got a really talented Really talented coaching staff. Carowell staying as associate head coach. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Shire himself. Honestly, obviously Baker coming in. We lose one Baker, we gain another. <laughs> uh, no no relation. Right. None at all. This is true. But <laughs> Rachel Baker, uh, pretty, pretty big roles at Nike and with the NBA. Shire bringing her in to help manage NIL primarily. Mm-hmm. Huge get. And obviously Duke is a big brand on on social media uh like in advertising if you're a duke player you're gonna get attention you're gonna be able to get that nil money i like the the addition of baker to help make sure that that all goes uh smoothly yeah she she kind of helped with katie's rebrand too um she was she was pivotal in that role and she was she had just taken over the eybl's brand for for nike so she she's got her pulse her finger on the pulse of everything and this was this was really a good hire, like a very underrated hire, especially moving into the future. That's what we're seeing. That's what this rebuild is all about. It's this is the future. This is why K left. This is why these old dogs are leaving the game. It was, you know, we're, we're waiting until the very last minute for Trevor Keel to announce what he's going to do. And Shire's got to have a plan right after that. And he did like, he clearly had a plan. I know everybody freaked out, but he obviously had plan a, B, C, and even D if he needed to go to it. So I, I am happy with what I saw out of this because that helps that helps ease my worries about the next couple of years for John because there are going to be guys who are going to leave that shouldn't leave forever. Like this season kind of showed, okay, NIL may or may not be enough to keep guys around. So yeah, let's we keep rolling with the punches. You know, the transfer portal is always there. People are always going to want to come to Duke, and you know, John has a good season this year. I mean, next year you're going you're still going to have guys beating down the door trying to come to Duke. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how this offseason has progressed, even with all the, uh, the losses that we, that we had. Yeah, you know it's a really good hire uh, referring to, to Rachel Baker when you see the Kentuckys and uh, the Carolina fan bases going <laughs> nuts saying, you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, that's when you know yep. it's a great hire. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we, have, we legit have a, a general manager for our program right. now. Like, that is – that is the future of college basketball. Absolutely, it is. You already see it to some degree with you know some of the larger schools with football and things. You hadn't really seen it in basketball yet, and now Duke has that. Like, and that you, you can't speak enough to how important that is. And it'll be interesting to see if she branches to any of the other sports, women's basketball, football. I don't know 
I don't know what capacity they're going to have her in with the rest of the university, but at least with the basketball program, it's just another sign that Duke is staying ahead of the game. And it's because of the program they set up. It's not just K. It's not just the basketball on the court. It's everything else off the court. I do want to give a quick shout out, uh, AC, your boy, Stephen Ochoa, uh, leaving Duke to go over to yeah. your New York Knicks. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I mean, I, it's not, it's not going to, I feel bad for him having to go work for Jim Dolan, but <laughs> <laughs> I did see that, man. Poor guy. Yeah, Stephen Ochoa, obviously, um, you know, Dave Bradley's right hand guy mm-hmm. doing all the video content. So we'll be a tough uh, loss with that, but uh, obviously we got a lot of guys um, in the pipeline for that. Um, you know, overall, Jack, in terms of uh, how comfortable you feel with, let's just focus on the coaching staff. We already talked about, you know, Rachel Baker and, and kind of the uh, the overall program as a whole, but just the coaching staff alone. Um, you know, you lose Coach K, you lose Nolan Smith. We know that Lucas is a phenomenal recruiter. How do you get from an S's and O's perspective? You feel pretty comfortable with that? I mean, has Shire ever lost a game as acting head coach? That's too cool. <laughs> tell, him, tell him, Jack. I mean, it's not, it's, it might be the summer, but tell him, Jack. Look, I uh, I really am not worried at all. John Shire was able to move to the point guard position after playing shooting guard for three years at Duke and win a championship. Mm-hmm. John Shire has moved from a special assistant to associate head coach over people on the staff. John Shire is ready for this. He is a rising superstar in the coaching world. Him and Nolan Smith both. Honestly, like, obviously losing Nolan is a big loss. Jay Lucas will not fill the void completely, but he's going to do a damn good job, I think. Um, Those two guys from that championship team in 2010, I think are going to have great coaching careers, and I think it starts this year for both Mm -hmm. of them, honestly. Nolan going up to, not officially, but effectively an associate head coaching role. Yeah. over at Louisville, but more importantly, since this is a Duke podcast focusing on the guy at Duke, John Shire, moving into his new role as the head coach of the best basketball program in the NCAA. I tend to believe that John was the guy drawing up a lot of these plays over the last couple of years anyway. Yeah, you heard about it during that COVID year even. Kay was barely with the team. Right. There, there, were, there, was, there were stretches of that season where Kay was watching practice from behind glass, essentially. So... Yeah, John. John has been running this team for the better part of two to three years. You know, with Kay's guidance, of course, and on, on, under the, the thumb of what Kay wants to do with the team. But it, it's not like he. Again, we've talked about this before. People are like, "Oh, I want a head coach with experience." I like the associate head coach at Duke is far better experience for every aspect of building and coaching a, a college basketball program than I would say 99% of the other jobs he could have gotten. Like right. he could have gotten the Seton Hall job. So what? That wouldn't have prepared him for Duke. He could have, right. He could UNLV. Have gotten, exactly. Like those jobs, just because you're the head coach of those teams does not mean that you're ready to coach at Duke. Like he's been a player assistant, everything at Duke. He knows everything it takes to, to succeed there. So his, his grooming was far better than, than anything anyone else could have gotten. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I have absolutely, I, AC, you know, we're, we're, we're not strangers here. Like, we, we've been saying for the better part of a couple of years, we're ready for, for John Shire to take this thing over. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it. I think it's a phenomenal time for him to step in. He's the right guy. He's been the right guy for a few years. We, we identified that pretty early on. So, 
for for us, I think that we're we're in phenomenal hands to uh, to get you know the Brotherhood 2.0 started here. So let's go ahead and talk about that roster. Again, <laughs> eleven new players, yep. four of which are transfers, ground transfers, which I like. Um, we got the real class of uh, Tyrese Proctor um, and six new freshmen in addition to him. So I'm going to start with. Tyrese Proctor, just from this standpoint, I am so happy that they had been talking about this even before yep. the decision was ready. And I'm, I'm super ecstatic, not only because we get him, you know, 6'5", 180, guy with experience. Um, but I, to be honest with you, AC, I didn't think that he would play for Duke to begin with. So, like, if he would have stuck in 2023, I think there's a real serious chance that he would not have played for Duke. Yeah, I think that was on the table, and I think that's why the move was made. Before before he committed to Duke, in the very beginning, it was oh well he has the possibility to reclass. Like whenever whenever you hear that, like when that when some when that news comes out, that means it is being talked about. So no matter what fluff piece they write after that, where he's like oh no I want to stay in the twenty three class, I want more experience, blah blah. That that's fluff. That's all fluff. The minute the minute that it leaks out that oh yeah this person's a possible reclass, they're going to reclass, <laughs> or or at least or at least the plan is if something goes sideways they're right there, you know, another bullet in the chamber for them to be able to step up. So this, it wasn't surprising that it happened, especially after, after everything was announced. And quite honestly, with losing Trevor, with losing the possibility of having someone like AJ Green or whatever, this was the next best step better than anything else you'll find in the portal, in my opinion. So it's somebody who wants to be a Duke. He committed, he's, he's a talented, talented player, probably one and done, but you know he's he's going to be a key piece for this team. I, I really like the addition of Tyrese Proctor. I think it's very helpful. I would have rather have had an AJ Green or Keels, but since we don't have them, the next best option is is that is having having Proctor. Yeah, I think Jack. That uh, I think all three of us would say that we would have rather had Keels back. Of course. Uh, what, did you have a preference in terms of AJ Green as well uh, over Proctor? Or are you just pretty pretty much happy that that we were able to get this? I mean, obviously, everyone really would have liked to have A.J. Green. I, myself, include. That being said, A.J. Green is staying in the NBA draft. I don't really care now about him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we got another, another Duke commit, a big point guard who is not going to go straight out of high school into the NBA draft, unlike some guys about, I don't know, the year that Proctor was born, maybe. Uh a little better than that situation. I'm incredibly happy because I don't, like you guys said, I don't think he was coming to Duke if he didn't reclassify. Um, he's 18 years old already. He will be 19 in April of next year. Mm-hmm. He, uh, the one thing I, uh, the one reservation I really have about Proctor is that he's kind of struggled when he's played against the top tier talent when he's come to the United States for like the, uh, what was it? The Nike Hoop Summit. Yeah, that Hoop Summit and everything else. He struggled a little bit there, but you know what? He's a talented player. Mm-hmm. He just needs to adjust a little bit. I think uh, he's already enrolled for summer classes. I think that summer uh, adjustment period is going to be huge for him. It's going to determine whether he's a starter or not. Um, I think that's – it's big get regardless. He's a five-star recruit. Yeah, He's, again, likely one and done, but you know what? I think it's beneficial for him and for Duke to have him in Durham this year because he gets to show that he can play – with high caliber players, not necessarily the guys in Australia, no disrespect to them, but I think this is a huge pickup for, for Duke for 2022, 23, as well as 
for Proctor to prove himself and maybe increase that draft stock a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the number one, he, he's, he, he's number one or two, depending on what service you look at is in terms of international prospects in that 18 year old age range. Like the, the guy is, the guy's really talented. Like he was going to be, if he stayed in Australia, he was going to be a, a, a lottery pick just based on his potential alone, you know, coming from overseas. So to, to be able to have him in Durham for a season is, is going to be very nice. And like you said, he did struggle a little bit in that hoop summit. Uh, he was in another tournament the year before um when people could start traveling again played in in the u.s again and and struggled a little bit with u.s competition then but the one thing he never really struggled with was still his floor vision and his ability to run a team like he still is that point guard and that's what you want like we have jeremy Rose now we have him coming off the bench it's great having two point guards like that yeah so so on the other side jack is you know our latest commit was jacob grandinson coming out of illinois via uh holy cross He's 6'6", Q10, grad transfer. He's, I think he's the same age as Jason Tatum, for Christ's sake. He's about a month younger. <laughs> right. Um, but you know what? Experience, you know, the guy's a, a pretty solid three-point shooter, over 40%. So, you know, overall, I think we, you know, you, you hear a lot of two fans, and I, I, I don't disagree with the notion that having some experience is definitely going to be a good thing for us. Well, TK, let me tell you, I have some notes here on Grandison. <laughs> I know you do. Do it all wing can shoot the lights out. Sixth year player who started his career at Holy Cross is the same age as Tatum and has a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. You just said all of that. (laughs) He, that's exactly what he brings to the table. He might start at the three. He is not a shooting guard. I don't know why people called him a shooting guard when he was in the portal. He is a really good player. He shot 41% in his two years at Illinois from three. Um, He played against Duke and won at Cameron. He's going to have a chance to uh, continue winning in Cameron as a member of the home team this time. That aside, again, this is a guy who really, he fits the system. And I think he, he elevates the status of this team from good to great and contenders. Yeah. Yeah, I really think that's, that's the X factor. He gives us a defensive presence that we didn't have on the perimeter, which is, that's a big deal. So now, now you have Jeremy Roach and now you have Grandison who can guard the other team's scoring wing which is why I think he's going to start. I don't, I don't see, I don't think he's coming off the bench quite honestly, but I know we're going to get into kind of line of predictions and things. No, so it's, 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 just, just go ahead and start it because, you know, we've already talked about a lot of these freshmen before, you know, and so I, I wouldn't mind just kind of switching gears right now mm-hmm. talking about these starting lines. Cause I, you know, going through my head, when you took a look at, you know, when Proctor first joined over, well, he's going to slide in next to, to Roach and then you get Grandison. Wait mm-hmm. a minute. Now he's definitely not going to. And I think that's a good thing, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's Jeremy. I think it's Whitehead. I think it's Grandison and more than likely Filipowski and Lively. I, I think that's where we're sitting with this. And, you know, the, the biggest, biggest thing is we have Ryan Young now who can give you experience off the bench for the post guys. So, so that kind of alleviates any fears that people might have had of Filipowski and Lively playing together because we do have some post up. Catchings is going to see some you know defensive minutes here or there, maybe off the bench. Proctor obviously is going to come to the bench and play a lot. Jalen Blake's is still there, so you know we we have those guys. Shoot, I think I think it's going to take some time for Shoot to catch on. Honestly, like uh, unless his shooting skill is really that incredible, where he is just earning minutes it's, it's going to be hard for him to get time I think people are expecting him to be the solid super contributor now I don't know that that's going to be the case honestly and, and the one guy you haven't mentioned there was Mark Mitchell and Mark Mitchell right like I think so, I think getting Grandison was huge in keeping Mark Mitchell 
as our sixth man, which is exactly what we need. I didn't want him starting. I think that would have been a bad, bad move in a, in a, in a bad thing for, for what we needed right now. He's not ready to start. He's not. And him being able to come off the bench and kind of spell some guys either in the post or on the wing is a big deal as well. Jack, to, to start the year, do you like that same starting lineup that AC just laid out? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to be it's uh, going to be Roach and then Whitehead, Grandison, Flip, Lively, which uh, defensively leaves a couple of question marks at the two and four spots. Really, Whitehead. I I really like his game a lot. I'm just not sold on him being a two guard and being able to play that defensively. Offensively, I think he's going to be fine. But defensively against twos in the college game, I'm not really sure how well he fits. Same thing with Filipowski at the four. I feel like Lively has to be defensively. He's got to play down low. He's a rim protector. He's super athletic. He's a great rebounder. Filipowski, not necessarily the best defender. Offensively, I think he's going to shine. I think he reminds me, call me crazy, he reminds me of Dirk on the offensive end. Sheesh. Uh, high praise high praise i know uh uh, i said call me crazy if you want to you know i think think you're crazy jack i think you're crazy i think that's i think that's a little crazy this particular Uh, post duo reminds me if if we want to use a duke comparison it reminds me more of shav and and sheldon coming in together that's that's really what it reminds me of you have the you have the defender down low which is which is lively and you have the kind of multi-tooled four, which was Shav with Sheldon. And you have that again with Filipowski. That's, that's exactly what this looks like, but it's not Kay coaching. So it's Shire coaching. I, I want to see. Yeah. So do, do you, do you see uh, Shire mixing up the defense? He's a little bit there, maybe going a little bit more in zone. Is he going to try to play a little more mashup? Is he going to, you know, try matchup to keep zone, those... I think it's where we're yeah. going to sit. I, think I we're see a lot of that. Zone. I mean, I think you have to with, uh, with Dirk Filipowski because. <laughs> uh, <laughs> At least it's not Matt Hurd on defense. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I know we need to start taking. And he's a good rebounder too, so you still want. He's a good rebounder, and he is bigger. Is it a possibility that you know, in certain situations, you see him more, you know, down low, and you know, you see lively out there on the perimeter if necessary, uh, in terms of defensively. Potentially, I mean, I I don't see either one of those guys getting thirty minutes a game. So, right, I agree. They're going to have to spell each other. Ryan Young's going to spell those guys, and Mark Mitchell's going to see some time at the four. So. Right, you're you're gonna have all of all four of those options. I mean, Kale Catchings, I mean, he might see some minutes at the four if he sees minutes. You know what I mean? So Catchings right. played the five a little bit at Harvard. Yeah. So yeah. like, so I mean, he's that's and that's where his that's where his bread is buttered. He's not a he's not a perimeter defender. He's a guy who right. guards stretch four. So you have you have all those options. And and like I said, Filipowski and Lively are not going to be in thirty minute realm. Like Mark Williams was not. He didn't touch thirty minutes last season. So. To think that Lively and or Filipowski is going to do the same thing that Mark Williams did is is nuts. Like they are not better than him. So, so that's, yeah, that's what we said. Yeah, certainly. And and I don't think that anybody in the right mind is expecting thirty minutes out of any of those guys. And if if, if one of those guys is giving us thirty, that is either a really great thing or mm-hmm. a really bad thing. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm probably leaning toward the latter in that. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Mark Mitchell. Uh, Jack, I do want to ask you, he is taking uh, Arn Heyman's retired jersey number 25. Ooh. I know that this isn't the first time. Um, obviously, Bagley did it um, a couple of years ago, so there's that precedent. But Danny Ferry, as far as I can tell, is still alive. <laughs> so uh, it, 
I don't want to be hypocritical here or, you know, talk out of both sides of my mouth, but this one doesn't sit as well, knowing that Heyman, you know, isn't, you know, aligned to give the go-ahead. Well, yeah, Ferry straight up gave permission, and Bagley said that before he even officially announced his decision. The first thing he said on SportsCenter that night was, I would like to thank Danny Ferry for giving me permission to use his number. Mm-hmm. I will be playing at Duke and wearing 35. That, I mean, and Ferry himself said he talked to Capel during the recruiting process and said, yeah, he can wear my number if that's what it takes to get him to Duke. Mm-hmm. Art Heyman is a uh, Duke legend. May he rest in peace. 10 years gone, I hope his family gave permission because this is a guy who had a lot of issues. He was he was a little bit of a hothead, but he <laughs> has every right to have been upset at Duke as he was for like almost 30 years after he left yeah. because they didn't retire his number until 1990. Yep. And it was Coach K that was the reason yeah. that that happened. Yeah. yeah. And that was, I believe it was the first time Heyman set foot on campus since graduating was for that Jersey retirement. I think I remember ceremony. seeing something in a book about that actually. Yeah, was, I, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who was a most outstanding player in the final four when his team lost in the semifinal. This is an incredibly talented player. Number obviously was worn after he left because it wasn't retired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, he's he's not around to uh, to give the blessing for Mitchell. Yeah, like so he, again, I really hope it was his family that gave gave the okay. I have to imagine that's the case, but you know, still, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's again, new era. I, I think you're going to see this more often. I think you're going to see especially guys who maybe one year, possibly two, taking somebody's number that they really want. Jabari Parker asked Jason Williams for his number. So, and Jason Williams gave him his blessing, but he ended up not choosing it. So, you know, it, this is not unprecedented, as you said. And I, I don't think this will be the last time we see it either. So, very interesting move and a very interesting choice of number. I mean, that is his number. So, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Mark Mitchell, the player. Um, I'm really intrigued by Mark Mitchell. I think athletically, um, the lengthwise, he's kind of skyrocketed upwards. And you see, talk about the player and where you see him fitting in. And I kind of want to transition it from that to as the year progresses and if he plays the way I think he's capable of, it's going to be tough to put him, keep him out of the starting lineup later in the year. His minutes are going to be based solely around two things. Can he play defense at this level? Can he hit the three at this level? He's already showing he's an improving shooter. Shooting was definitely his biggest weakness, even when he committed. He's he's shown improvements in that in that realm. He's not he's not some super run and jump athlete. Like he's he still can get up and down the floor. He runs really well. He moves laterally pretty well for his size. But those two things, it's it's that defensive side of the ball. Can he come in? Can he guard fours? Can he guard threes? can he give us those minutes in those key spots and can he shoot the shot? Can he help spread the floor? Because some of the things he does first season in college, he's not going to be able to do because he's just not that type of guy. Like he's, he's a decent ball handler. One of his strengths is getting to the rim, but he's still a slight player. Like he's going to be going up against college size guys. And you always, you always see guys of his stature struggle in that first, first half, at least of the season doing those things that they used to do in AAU and in high school, which is I can get to the rim whenever I want. You're going to see it. You're going to see a struggle there. You're going to see him struggling, finishing at the rim. So he's going to have those bugaboos. This is why I didn't want him as a starter, because that typically means 20, 25 minutes and, and 20, 25 minutes of Mark Mitchell struggling. We don't want, so he can kind of ease into a role a little bit more. Now he can fill that role as, 
as a three, four type of guy. And, and that's what I'm willing, that's what I'm really wanting to see out of him. Yeah. Uh, Jack, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Mark Mitchell? Do you have any comparisons to any, you know, Hall of Famers? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> I said reminds, not is the next. Oh, okay. Just to be fair and to defend myself. Anyway, Mitchell, look, he's he's a high motor defense uh, first kind of guy in my book. I think that's the way Shire is going to play him. Um, gives me if he, I feel like he's not a one and done player. I feel like he's like AC said. He's going to struggle with scoring and getting to the hoop. He is a stretch four in the modern college game. He will be able to play the three when Duke goes big, which I feel like they'll do a lot. And again, like AC said, I am incredibly, incredibly happy that he will not be starting because I think he's a really high ceiling guy. I think he's a moderately high floor guy, but I don't think he's high enough floor to start as a freshman in the ACC kind of guy. Yeah, he reminds me of those guys that you were seeing coming out and they almost became a dime a dozen. Those, the big 6'10", can handle the ball, has guard skill type guys that we were seeing in like the late, like the late 2000s, like from like 2007 to about 2012, it's just so like guys like Quincy Miller, um, DeAndre Daniels, all those guys, he, he reminds me of those types of players. Some of them pan out, some of them don't. It just depends on the situation they're in. I, I don't see him being as good as Quincy Miller was in college. And, and Quincy Miller had his own struggles. So yeah. that, that's where I'm at. I, I, I remember Quincy Miller and I really wanted him. And oh, yeah, thought, absolutely. We thought, we thought we were going to get him for, yeah. for a while there. Yeah, North Carolina kid, he, he seemed to be a Duke fan and he, he chose Baylor because he had AAU connections there. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that was, that was kind of where that sat. But this, this that's where I see Mark Mitchell. I mean, very similar to those types of guys. What about Jamin Brayfield? Uh, is that a comparison from a couple of years ago? I don't think they're the same player because they don't. he doesn't shoot like Jamin did. And and Jamin, I mean, athletically, that profile kind of fits, except for he's, a, he's better laterally than Jamin Brayfield was. Brayfield had – he was he was kind of slow-footed. Brayfield, the, the comparison – the better comparison for Brickfield, in my opinion, is more of like Sean Stewart. What we're going to see with him coming in a few years, but with Mark Mitchell, it's he really more reminds me. Honestly, reminds me of Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas was like carbon copy the same player out. coming out of high school. Like they were the exact same players coming out of high school. They almost looked the same. And the run and jump, the alley oops. Lance was a budding shooter, but more from the mid range because that's where basketball still was at that time. Not so much from the three, but a little overrated for where he was. And I think that's, I think that's what we have with Mark and I, I like him. I like him as a player. I hope he sticks around. That's what. And you see, you can, you can see Emil working with him then. Yeah, exactly. Because Emil was also very similar to that right, type exactly. of player as well. Yeah, exactly. yep. So that's, he's, he's like the perfect coach for Mark Mitchell, quite honestly. And hopefully he, he's just also the perfect guy to help keep him grounded. I think Mark Mitchell is a hard worker. And I think he is somebody who is not, just going to leap to the NBA right away. But he 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 honestly is probably going to have a decision to make at the end of the season. Hopefully it's one where we see him improving as the season goes on and he decides to stay at Duke. All right, so speaking of the NBA draft and people leaving early, uh, that's where we are. Uh, that's just kind of where Duke has been for mm-hmm. quite some time. So let's talk about uh, the guys that we have in the NBA draft coming up here. Uh, let's just start at the top here, Jack. I've seen a lot. <laughs> pretty much all uh, NBA draft mock-ups where our boy Paolo is the third pick behind Jabari Smith and your boy Chet Holring. So uh, <laughs> just tell, tell those, you know, the Orlando Magic 
and Oklahoma City just tell them why they are incorrect in not drafting Paolo number one. Paul is the most complete player in this draft. He is the best player as of right now in the draft. He has the highest floor of those three guys and obviously of anyone. Um, Chet Holmgren has the highest ceiling in the draft. I don't think anyone's going to debate that. But Chet Holmgren weighs less than I do and I am less than six (laughs) feet tall. That is also probably not true. I don't remember exactly how much he weighs. Um, but he is rail thin. Chet Holmgren has the highest bust potential of those three guys. Jabari Smith Jr., an incredibly talented player, but I really don't know where he slots in, especially with Orlando and uh, OKC. Mm-hmm. They already have guys in the position he would play. Uh, Paulo, I feel like I'm going to say like floor and ceiling for all of our guys, so I'll start here with Paulo. So the floor... AC, you're going to kill me for saying this, but he reminds me of a very, very much more efficient version of Julius Randle. Julius, Bowen. I said more efficient. I said more There's so efficient. many other players. You I'll tell you, I'll tell you, AC, hear me out. Jack came out swimming this this podcast. I apologize, and I need you to hear me out. Julius Randle. Oh my god! Might be probation time for Jack. Oh I need you to hear me out. I need you to hear me out. Julius Randle is a guy who can stretch the floor. He has. He has shot threes at a high percentage before. He can pass the ball at a very high level for a power forward. He can score at all three levels. The one thing he's really truly lacking is the ability to drive and score, which we've seen Paulo do, which is why I said a more efficient and a better version of Randall, which I think he can be from day one. Ceiling-wise, I don't know who to compare him to. I've been thinking he's not Giannis, obviously, Um but that's like kind of where I kept coming back to. He's a guy who reminds me of Giannis, but like a better shooter, not necessarily as dominant of an interior player. Those days when Giannis was like a true point forward, really, I think that's that's his ceiling. Mm-hmm. I think he has MVP potential. Yeah, I mean, it's like Melo. I mean, he's I mean, the same I type think, of scorer that Carmelo is. And, I mean, yeah, but he's a better he's a better distributor. He's he a plays better distributor, a different right? Position. I, I, I don't like the Melo comparison there. Yeah, right? I don't like the yeah. Melo. Yeah, I think. I mean, he, Melo is such a superior shooter, and he didn't have the body uh, or playmaking ability that Paolo has. Right, yeah. right. But but he was but he is a number one scorer on a team, and I think that's where that sits. I think you know whatever comparison we want to make, that's where that's where his ceiling his ceiling is. Number one scorer on a playoff team. That's what Paulo Bancaro is going to be. And we see him dropping, not dropping, but sitting in that number three spot in the draft solely because people continue to say the same thing, which is Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith have more upside. They even say uh, Keegan, Keegan Murray has more upside right. than Paulo Bancaro. It's like, <laughs> right. It, but but up, upside is such a stupid word because all upside means it's unrealized potential. It is smoke on a fire. It's like, oh, it's just the stuff that didn't burn. Like, Upside also means you have a incredibly low floor as well. It always comes with it. And Paulo is the safest player in this draft, bar none, hands down, like without a doubt. And and that's where it's, I mean, he is he is going to be a superstar no matter what. Like, yeah, he's not going to add some other skill that we haven't seen out of him yet. He he's just going to make what he has better, and what he already has is immaculate. Like that's that's where I sit. That's the thing about Paulo. It's like. What are we doing? Like, what game are we playing? Like, oh no, he's he's not going to become a point guard or whatever. I don't I don't know what upside you want to see out of him. Like, you already see what he is. Just make what he does better. Make his threes more efficient. Make his drive smarter. Like, 
and and that's what's going to happen in NBA. He's going to. He, learn he, the he game. basically mean like what he was doing toward the end of the year once he exactly. you know once he started seeing the ball go through the hoop because he did have a stretch where he struggled. Right, but he started the season all, off on and, fire. Then, and that was all, and that was all between the ears. And then yeah. once he kind of figured it out, you know, give him some time, and then all of a sudden he's fine. Exactly. Um, I, I I hate the idea that he has the lower you know ceiling quote unquote compared to the other four or five around there. Um, because I think he has a lot of room to get better, which is scary. Right. The the thing I think is biggest is like AC said, there's not like there's not much Paulo can like add to his game and like and make him a better player in that sense. But I think that's because he already is such a versatile guy. Exactly. Like he can do it all. He's not right. he's not gonna all, be and a he can still Chet, get so much better. He's right. not gonna be a Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga level defender in the low post. Okay. He has the ability to get to the hoop easier than anyone else in this class. And he's a 6'10, 250. Yeah. 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 His 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 the thing that he like everybody has the, the thing that they do that's elite. Chet's his his length and defense at the rim. Jabari's is his ability to to see the floor and score and those things like Paulo's is it's all skill related. It's his footwork. It's his body positioning. It's the size that he brings and the the talent that comes with it. It's it's moving around like a guard at 6'10", 250. Like shut shut the fuck up about potential, please. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't want to hear anything about upside, man. That's uh, stupid. Like it's such a stupid word. It really is. We use it to to denigrate these stars and things and and say, oh, well, this guy's better because he's my guy. So he's better than the other guy because of his potential. That's upside. Upside means that you haven't done it yet. That's exactly what upside means. And Paulo's done all that stuff. So I take it. Yeah, it's fine. It's a compliment. He doesn't have the same upside. Good. That means he's already ready. All right. So, uh, Jack, how much upside does uh, AJ Griffin have? So I'm going to start, I'm going to start at his floor and then go up to that ceiling, that upside. <laughs> so uh, AJ, I mean, he had a few consistency issues at Duke this year, but obviously a lot of that can be attributed to his, uh, his knee issues at the beginning of the year. And the fact that he really, it was an adjustment period. He hadn't really played in almost two years when he started his freshman year at Duke. Um, I think he's, he's got great NBA frame. He's got a great shooting touch. He's got the, defensive potential and he was a great defender really before he started playing a little gingerly to avoid injury i think with nba level like medical science around him i think he can play back up to that defensive intensity but he reminds me worst case scenario of like a hot a hot cam reddish worst case now let's go up to the best case, which I think is far more likely, which is someone that Cam was actually compared to in Paul George. I think AJ Griffin has the size and the ability on offense and defense to become that two-way superstar player who can be the best player on a team that has a chance to make a championship run. I honestly believe that. Call me crazy again. I think think he's got that ability. Yeah, I think think he's a tough comparison uh for aj just because we don't know physically what he's going to be capable of ac what do you mm-hmm. think I, it's it's going to be interesting it's, it's between the ears for him is he ever going to be like a takeover scorer because he was never even though he led duke in scoring a lot of times he was not a takeover guy he was taking opportunities as they came and i i get a feeling that that's what we're going to see out of him in the nba whereas when he was coming in out of high school he was like he had a he had a takeover mentality when he was playing 
you know, when he was the leader of a team with lower competition, but it's almost like he, whether it was the injury or not, he kind of just faded into being one of the guys when really we needed him to be like last year, we needed him to be our number two scorer in a way where if Paulo didn't have the ball, he gets the ball and he goes and does something with it as opposed to somebody has to set him up. So I'm, I'm hoping we see him get into a role in the NBA where he can, he gets the ball and says, I want it. And I want to do something with it. I don't know if we see him become that kind of guy. So I think that kind of caps how high he can go in terms of, is he an all-star? Does he have that type of potential? Because talent wise, he has that type of potential all day long, but some, some guys just mentally don't ever become those guys. Like even they can have all the talent in the world. They just don't become like the lead scorer, the lead guy on a team full of men. And I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know if AJ has that in him. He's still very young even. So it's going to take a few years even for him, for us to see his best basketball. So be a good defender, be a good shooter, which he already is. And, you know, the the rest hopefully will take care of itself with him. But I I really do, his mentality needs to change if he is going to become an all-star type player. So speaking of a guy that has potential in my mind to be an all-star level guy, Mm-hmm. Um, especially defensively, uh, Jack is is Mark Williams. Mm-hmm. You know he's projected late lottery. A lot of people have him slotted to uh, to Charlotte right now. He's a guy that obviously we, we know what his potential is. He can clean up anything around the rim. He's phenomenal defensively. He's got great footwork, and his I mean, if you really want to talk ceiling, I mean, his ceiling is is through the roof. So uh, <laughs> why why not work with a guy uh, an, an owner that doesn't know what the roof is? So yeah, uh, perfect. Yeah. So uh, what do you got for uh, for Big Mark? I really, I really can't think of a floor for him. I think his floor depends on the guys around him more than anything. Mm-hmm. So if he's in Charlotte. I mean, outside of Lamelo, really, and Mason Plumley, shout out to uh, to the Duke legend. <laughs> I I really don't know what his floor can be. I think, like I said, it depends what team he ends up being drafted by. His ceiling is pretty clear, though. It's it's like a Rudy Gobert, Bam Adebayo type, like rim runner, rebounder, defensive menace, paint protector. This is a guy who is going to get multiple blocks per game pretty quickly when he comes in. This is a guy who is going to be a lob threat. This is a guy who is going to just make opposing big men cry. The one thing with him is he needs to get a little stronger. He's he's got a pretty thin frame, not not nearly as close to the level as Chet Holmgren, but he's only 240 pounds, which when you're going against centers in the NBA – that can be a struggle. Like if you're going, if you're getting posted up by Joel Embiid, 240 is not going to cut it. That being said, Mark's an athletic rim running lob threat, mm-hmm. shot blocker extraordinaire. And I, I see him being an all defensive first team player in the next five to seven years. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he has a budding offensive game. Like he does have a chance. Here's where you see that upside he has a chance to add some skills in terms of being able to shoot from mid-range, even from the three. Ah, mid-range mark. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and we saw, he saw, we saw him take a few of those shots. It wasn't like he took a bunch. We he hit him. He hit him when he took them. Uh, you know, it was fine when he took them. And, and he's just got to be able to speed the release up and everything else. So that's going to come with time in NBA. So that that's for sure where, like you said, Bam Adebayo, Gobert, Hassan Whiteside type, like, it, but he has the chance to add something that they don't really have, which is that mid-range shot, which I think that's going to be key to his development. Wendell Moore, what do you got for him? So 
his worst case outcome is a guy like Evan Turner, who's he's like a point forward kind of wing defender. But I'm a Sixers fan who was mad at Evan Turner for not being one of the superstars from that 2010 draft. So let's move on to Wendell's best case. <laughs> so people are going to give me some weird reactions when I say OJ Mayo, Lance Stevenson, but those two guys had some incredible years in the league as facilitating like secondary ball handlers on the wing who can defend at a pretty good level. Do you think OJ Mayo like average, those guys though? I think he has the chance to, I don't think he's going to come out the gates like that. I think he can though. Like we saw it at Duke. It took him a few years. Mm-hmm. He was a national player of the year contender before uh, that January break that Duke had to take. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who can average 17 a game in college. He can average 12 to 15 a game in the pros. Once he like develops a little more, not to mention he's like three months older than Ty Ty Washington. He's young. Wendell is 20 years old. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of room to grow. He's got, he's going to have at least a 10 year NBA career. I think I feel like he's going to be able to score like those guys. Eventually worst case. He's a three and D combo guard. Best case. He's those guys. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I mean, he has, he has a tool set for it. It's, it's yeah. and the fact that he retooled his athleticism at Duke that last season and, and actually made himself an athletic player working with coach will, which was, that was an amazing transformation. I think that's a, that's a big deal. And I think that's, that'll be what helps, helps his career along. I think before that it was, he was one of those guys. I mean, he was just, he ran flat footed. Like he was one of those guys. I was like, Oh God, I don't know even athletically if he's going to be able to hang with college guys, let alone NBA guys. But he, he changed that narrative a lot with what he did retooling his athleticism there. And, and don't get it wrong, like he can throw it down. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. we saw that uh, obviously at Clemson. So um, you know he can throw it down, and yeah, I think he has a bright future ahead of him as well. It would be great for him to get with one of these up and down teams, like the Suns yeah, or somebody. Yeah, I think that, again, that would be perfect you know, for him. So much of the NBA is is where you where you get drafted, and mm-hmm. you know, so I, I think in the right fit that he, he'll be fine. Uh, if he gets him into an organization that doesn't know how to utilize him correctly, then, mm-hmm. you know, he could be in the G League in a couple months, but um, or just kind of be bouncing around. Okay, so we kind of already talked about Trevor Keels. Anything we don't know um, that we haven't said in terms of where we think Trevor is going to go, what he could potentially be? No, I just, I mean, I just, his life in the NBA is going to be based around his jump shot. I mean, truly, yeah. like, He's not athletic. He's we saw that in the combine. The combine was his worst worst ally, and we we knew that. We said that going into it that that was going to be his worst ally, and it was. So, so so the combine didn't do any any favors for him, just kind of showing what he does. But we've seen him, and we he knows how to use his body. He knows how to use his frame and get shots off. So, if he can become an efficient scorer, then he can stick around the league. If he cannot find his shot in the in the NBA and get his shot off against it superior length and superior athleticism then he's gone that's that's literally where his career lies i mean yeah yeah um we were talking in our group chat yesterday i was saying i'm struggling to figure out what a ceiling is realistically for trevor ac you came up with a good one in hershey hawkins i actually mm-hmm. really like that comparison um again hawkins did play for my hometown sixers so while i was not alive <laughs> i've seen some tape right and uh i really like that it's a combo guard who can score he developed a three-point shot in a time when three-point shooting was not a thing mm-hmm. people really used but then let's go to what trevor's going to start out as and i i kind of put a couple of guys down here in my notes i got a uh, 
Talon Horton Tucker, who's another guy we talked about yesterday regarding Trevor, mm-hmm. a guy who's like got a lot of potential as like a three and D kind of guy, but really needs to get that three down consistently. Uh, thing with Horton Tucker is that he's absurdly athletic. Right, right. And I don't see that in Trevor. What I see is a guy like Marcus Smart before he was a starting, consistent, like high level scoring ability player like a first two or three years in the league, Marcus Smart, who was a 25% three-point shooter mm-hmm. and had like one steal per game. I see that a lot. Like physically, I see that in Trevor. 6'4", with that body type, that wide frame. Mm-hmm. Inconsistent jump shot, hard defense, but not necessarily the results from it that you want, but has the potential to become something more. Yeah, and I turns- see that. If he turns himself into a dog defender like Smart did, then oh, that it could be something that helps him. But because I mean, Smart Smart came out of college as a scorer, like he right, yeah. he was that OJ Mayo type guy that we, you were just talking about. Like that that was him, and he totally had to transform his game. Trevor he was a good defender in college, though. He was. He thing. was. He averaged. I was looking at the college numbers too, mm-hmm. and Marcus Smart averaged like three and a half steals per game his last yeah, year. He was, he was an All Big Twelve defender for like two or three seasons. Yeah. So. And and Trevor had that uh, he had that potential. It's just is he going to stick around long enough? Like Marcus Smart had capital behind him, where he was a high draft pick and teams wanted him. Like Trevor, I like I don't know, I don't know if he carries the same capital that Smart carried. Like he, Smart also did end up playing a lot in the G League his first couple of years. He did, he did, and and that it's going to take patience with a team and a team to see something in Trevor where they're like, we really need this kid, and that's the thing. I don't know that Trevor has shown anything to any GM anywhere yet that says, yeah, we need to keep this guy around. And that's the thing that worries me with him. Yeah, I think it's a very fair concern. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we're pulling for him. But to be honest, there there are going to be a lot of question marks out there. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him doing a lot in G League over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if he keeps working hard, who knows? Um, not all one and dones are created equal. Uh, we're going to do a little rapid fire here toward the end of the show uh, of our favorite uh, one and done players that have come through Duke, or maybe a couple that just don't get enough credit uh, that they deserve. Like my main man, Jabari Parker, AC, <laughs> yeah, a guy yeah. that I just don't understand. I've, I've been on this scene for the last five to seven years where Jabari Parker, uh, Jack, he averaged 19 points and nine rebounds. Uh, shot 36% from three, over 47% from the field, back to field goal percentage of over 50. The guy did it all. He was on a team that, you know, we didn't have a true center. He had to be forced to do the jump. He, you know, he took the team on his back and he doesn't get the credit that he deserves because of the way that season ended losing to Markson, but people forget just one week prior to that in the ACC championship, he almost willed that team to be a Virginia team in the championship game mm-hmm. um, and got really no help. Um, you know, he got screwed out of winning the ACC player of the year. He would have been the first um, player in ACC history to win both the ACC rookie and player of the year in the same season. Obviously, your main man, Jaleel Okafor, got that done. <laughs> Uh, in the next year, uh, but I think he's comically underrated uh, in terms of Duke one and done. And uh, Jack, I'll throw it over to you. I'm still going to steal your guy. All right, yeah, my uh, my guy Jaleel, obviously big time. But before I start in on Ja, I want to talk a little bit about your pick, TK and Jabari. Okay. Like, sure. 
I think people people forget about him because again that season that's a season where Duke had double digit losses I believe obviously first round exit and that that's just generally a team forgotten in history it's sandwiched between an elite eight appearance that should have been a final four appearance where we lost to a team that no longer exists in the NCAA's eyes <laughs> um, and a championship so I really I think it's just it's that forgotten year where Duke as a whole was disappointing top 10 ranked team lost to an unranked UNC that they were far better than on top of that, no accolades, like no ACC championship, nothing outside of the first, not even the first weekend, the first round of the NCAA tournament Mm -hmm. that leads to that team being forgotten, not to mention Jabari and Rodney really have not had that NBA success. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that that's right. Uh, sorry, see, I think that that's right. Uh, you know, when you take a look at, you know, the stuff that he did individually, um, it was pretty impressive. He, you know, second in the ACC in points, um, third in offensive rebounds, led in defensive rebounds, uh, second in points per game. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, he, he did so many different things. He was top 10 in blocks. Like, there was no reason for him not to win that um, ACC player of the year. But like you said, uh, the team um you know didn't perform as consistently and mm-hmm. the, the real problem with that team they see was that they couldn't stop i mean they they couldn't stop anything like you and i yeah, could that defense roll the ball out there right now and we could i guarantee you we could score for sure for sure and, and that that leads to him being underappreciated and and the fact that the hype the hype didn't match how the season ended like the hype for him was i mean he was he was being touted as the the best high school player since lebron he was on the cover yeah. of Sports Illustrated as a sophomore in high school. Like that, there there was so much hype. Like he was he was the first in a long time first player to come to college with that that type of mega hype. And I, I think that that didn't it didn't lead to that eventually in his life and his career between Duke and the pros and everything else. So, but as and a player at Duke, he was so amazing, man. Yeah. yeah, he was so good at Duke, though, dude. Like, oh my god, he was so good and. Like you're saying, yeah, and, and and even he got to the pros and, and became an athletic player. Like, he wasn't even an athletic player at Duke. And yep. you saw him going to the Bucks and catching lobs and dunking on people and stuff, which he wasn't doing that since high school. So he brought that back to his game. And then, like you said, the injuries just kind of railroaded that. But at 20 Duke, points per game amazing. after a torn ACL. Like, you know, think about it, though. Yeah. Like, Jack is like, you know, if you talk about him with the Bucks, they were talking about him and Giannis, two yep. young guys, and that was going to be the duo. Mm-hmm. That would well, have been the you look, duo. At Tatum, I... you look at Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown now, that was going to be on a better level, Jabari and Giannis. I honestly think it could have been, if not for that second ACL tear Jabari yeah. had. But moving on to my my guy, my guy Jaleel. This is a guy who averaged 17 points per game. This is a guy who was an all-rookie first-teamer in the pros. This is a guy who won a national championship and was the best player on that team, no question, big job. Thing is... He's also like obviously less than Jabari, but he is forgotten a bit because he was not the star of that championship game. He wasn't mm-hmm. even like one of the best five for Duke in that championship game. But he was actually, he was actually underrated in that game. And I know it wasn't his best game. I mean, that whole, I, had, the whole end of the season for him, he had that he ankle injury. Fell, yeah, that he kind of fell off towards the end of the season. The team started game planning better around him and started mm-hmm. doubling more and that's where you saw justice starting to become a, like become a better player, Tyus become a better scorer. Yeah. And that was out of necessity. And like, thank, thankfully those guys did that because we wouldn't have won a title without them because of what they were doing with job. But I mean, the the Gonzaga game, you know, the first, the first couple of rounds, I mean, job was still just, I mean, he was so, Jaw's jaw. he, yeah. he was amazing. People he was hanging off of him. 
people handing off of him still making plays. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that play that he made at the end of the championship oh, game, Kaminsky all over him, that's <laughs> got to be one of the more, the, one of the least talked about plays that was humongous for a due championship. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. It crushed, it crushed whatever comeback they had coming. It put us in such a great position. It set everything up for what Tyus was going to do. And I mean, it was, it, what a play. And what, what a player. Like, I mean, that, <laughs> John is so good, man. He's so good. I uh, I honest I honestly just wish that that the Sixers hadn't drafted him because we had such a big log jam at the five mm-hmm. already, mm-hmm. and uh, then we bring him in, and I I really think he goes to any other team he gets more of a chance to contribute and boom and better development too obviously better development too because I mean he he developed like a guy who was still playing in 1985 like yes. in, in unfortunately for him didn't he average really... like 17 points in his rookie year 17 yeah. and seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, and then his second year, uh, a guy by the name of Joel Embiid was ready to come back from injury. Um, so uh, on this uh, train here, who do you got, uh, AC? Paulo, man. I know it's recency effect and all that, but that I, I, you and I both, we've loved Paulo as a recruit, like the two years prior, the two or three years prior to him coming to Duke, it was him and Pat Baldwin. And I was like, these yep. two dudes are off the charts good. And yep. <laughs> it was like to go from at a time, like we we didn't think he was going to come to Duke. It was like G League or bust, essentially, it seemed like. When he, when he committed, AC, mm-hmm. it was like, well, you thought I was kidding. I, I did. You texted me. I didn't. I, I had no inkling that that was even coming. You're like, hey, Paulo committed. I was like, sh- shut up. <laughs> like, I thought he was going to Tennessee. <laughs> I was shocked. Yeah. You're stupid. What are you saying? Like, no, but yeah, absolutely, man. Like that. And then and then just to watch his progression and. And then to be on the team he was on, they got to the final four. So, you know, there's that success there and everything. But just the amount of pressure he was under, that team was under, being K's last season and everything, man. And he handled with such grace and such a great personality, such a hard worker. Like, that dude, he's so good, man. And and he's one of those guys, because we lost to UNC and we didn't win it all and all those other things, I think history is going to look down on him a little bit from, you know, from a Duke fan's perspective. And I'm trying to get ahead of it because because this dude was so good, man. But like, just everything he did, I don't even need to throw the stats and things out. I'm just you watch that type of player, and you're like, this this is we are watching like an NBA Hall of Fame type of career like unfold here at Duke. And it was just clearly the best player on the floor every time he stepped on it. And I I, I loved everything he did. That Texas Tech game, man, like <laughs> that's that that vaulted itself into one of my top ten favorite Duke games ever just the lead up to how Texas Tech was going to dominate us with that super amazing, efficient defense and everything else. And then Paulo just went out there and just demanded, dis- dismantled it single-handedly. And I was like, yo, this dude is different, man. And then the little wink at the camera at the end. Like, that was the best. I was waiting for that. Was that for it was that. so good, dog. It was so good, man. The, we're going to play like yeah. Duke quote, like all those things, like, he just he just brought so much to this final season for K that I just I gotta give him his flowers for that man. Yeah, I mean obviously when when Paolo uh, you know started uh, his commitment to Duke, um, we just couldn't believe our good fortunes and yeah we talked about Baldwin. Yeah, that didn't work out well, but Paolo right. to Duke definitely did work out. <laughs> um, so let's talk about recruiting. Um, as long as we're on the topic, does anybody uh, know about Xavier Booker? I, I have a little bit about him. You know, Duke just offered him. He's been shooting up the recruit ranks uh, recently. Uh, he just followed my uh, my page, Duke.MBV, on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Last guy to do that prior to making a decision was Kyle Filipowski. And before that, it was A.J. Griffin. Woo! 
So Ooh, what you're telling us is that Kenny Gallagher's inside, inside info says that Xavier Hooker's coming to Duke. I'm not going to say it's a done deal, but <laughs> I've never had a recruit Duke. follow me and then not go to Duke. There you go. There you go. Yeah, now he's he's a budding player, man. That's that's somebody who's shooting up the charts because he's just his skill levels catching up with his athleticism and size. So that's if we we get him, not if when we get him. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> when when we get him, that probably that probably spells the end of that class for us. We may we offer JP Estrella. It's up to him if he wants to commit or not. He's there as a depth piece for a couple of years, so that's he's a long term prospect more so than some of the other guys we have in the 23 class already. So that's that's where that sits. You got Estrella there in the 24 class. Obviously, that's the one that is going to shake out next. It's going to be interesting to see what Nas Cunningham does. Keep watching him over the summer because he signed that overtime elite contract, but he can still play in college. So it'll be interesting to see where he where what he, do, what he does. Obviously, we already know about Darren Harris. Uh, Trenton Flowers is another guy who we offered him and Bryson Tucker both. And those two are some some very interesting players. Liam McNeely, James Brown, two two depth pieces there. Liam McNeely is more of a scorer. Obviously, James Brown's a big, but again, long-term big, kind of like J.P. Estrella. And then Cooper Flagg, I'm looking forward to seeing that guy in 25, man. That's that's a big-time player. He's going to stay on top of his rankings for a long time in his class. Multi-talented, decent athleticism, but he's just, he's just big. He's big and lengthy, man. He reminds me of what people thought Cole Aldridge was going to be. And he just never panned out to it just as a big, like kind of athletic, can rebound, defend, has a, has a great post game. And, and Cooper Flagg is a much better shooter than Aldridge ever will, would ever dream to be. So that's going to aid his development as well. So there we got the recruiting. Uh, big shout out real quick to uh, the Jeremy Kane um, winning that gold medal. I mean, that was huge. Plus he seems, Jack, he seems to be like a pretty good uh, recruiter. No? Oh, for sure. For sure. This is a guy who's got some of the biggest social media influence of anyone in basketball, really, at that uh, at that age. Yeah. The guy who's got like half a million, I want to say, on on TikTok. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's got a big following and he's he just dances, bro. Like, I don't don't get life right now. (laughs) Look, people my age, people my age and younger get it. I will say that. And uh, he's there's going to be a lot more Duke fans when he comes to campus in 2023. Absolutely. Yeah, but what a lie. Um, so big shout out to them. Good being back with you boys. Yes, sir. Brotherhood 2.0, man. We are we are shining. And and please, Tatum, please be more aggressive in game <laughs> six. My God. Let's go, Duke. Let's go, Duke. Let's go, Duke. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the Five Point Play podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also check us out on Twitter and Instagram five-point play podcast. Let's code Duke.